You're listening to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. In today's publishing landscape, you can reach fans all over the world. Query letters are a thing of the past. You don't even need a literary agent. There is nothing standing in the way of making a living from writing. Join two best-selling authors who have self-published more than 20 books between them. Now, on to the show with your hosts, Autumn Burt and Jasper Schmidt. Hello, I'm Jesper and this is episode 154 of the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast and uh, Autumn is uh, putting the finishing touches on editing our next novel today. So instead I'm joined by New York Times bestselling author Anthony Ryan and uh, normally when I do these interviews I have like a massive time difference, uh, Anthony, but not today because I think you're in the UK or something, is that right? I am, yes. Cool, but almost instantaneous. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's, there's even light light outside my window today, which I'm not used to when I do podcast recordings. <laughs> but you are you're from Scotland originally, is that right? Originally, yes. Uh, I don't sound Scottish, but I was born there and spent most of my childhood there. Uh, I would actually love to visit Scotland one day. I've been to the, uh, you know, London and stuff like that multiple times, but I've never been to Scotland. And it's just like the scenery there. It's it's almost a bit fantasy inspiring sometimes, isn't it? It is. Obviously, if you if you grow up there, you have a different view of things. Uh, you don't know you're growing up in a, you know, <laughs> a fantasy landscape. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, obviously, uh, you know, As a, as a true Scot, I recommend everyone should go to Scotland at least once. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, I would really love to go one day. But perhaps before we sort of get started for real here, maybe you could just share a few words about yourself, uh, Anthony, sure. and just talk a bit about what you're writing and maybe how you got into writing and so on. Sure. Um, Anthony Ryan, I'm the uh, author of the Raven Shadow Trilogy, the Draconis Memoria Trilogy, uh, lately the uh, Covenant of Steel, uh, which is my most recent work, uh, which is what I'm currently working on. Uh, I got published, I uh, self-published uh, back in 2011-2012 and was uh, persuaded to go the traditional route when my first novel, uh, Blood Song, took off. And uh, been a full-time author since the end of uh, 2012. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, what I've always wanted to do, and um, I consider myself uh, very fortunate to be able to make a living doing doing what I love to do. So, yeah, yeah that's way. pretty cool. So you have you have some stuff that you self-publish and some stuff that is traditionally published. Is that, is that still the case today? Yes, I don't do that much self-publishing uh, these days. It's usually one or two things a year, if that. And it's usually a short work. It's a, a novella or a short story or something like that. Full-length works are pretty much always uh, traditionally published these days. Um, and to be honest, given the time, and I'm sure you know better than I do, the time it takes to do self-publishing well, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of time, it's a lot of yeah, effort uh, to do it properly. And uh, frankly, I don't have the time to uh, to do it all. So you know, being traditionally published for the most part uh, suits me quite well. Right. And you're with Penguin, are you? 
these days it's mostly Orbit. Uh, it's part of uh, a Little and Brown, I believe. Uh, but I'm still, you know, technically published by Ace, which is part of uh, Penguin. So, you know, it's a thing with uh, traditional publishing. It can be a bit confusing with all the different contracts and everything. But I don't think readers care that much, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> if your publisher is, you know, they just want their next book. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I've got, with international publishers as well, I've got a lot of different contracts and things with various different publishers around the world. So it's, it can be a bit hard to keep track of them all. Yeah. But then coming from a situation where you have experience with both the traditional side of publishing, but as well as some self-publishing, what would you, sorry, well, you touched upon it slightly there, but what would you say is the pros and cons of each of those two approaches if somebody is sort of listening to this and debating, should I do one or the other? Um, well, it's weird. I think the advantages of self-publishing are, <laughs> are the, the disadvantages of self-publishing. They're the same things. The advantages are you have to do everything or you do everything yourself. You have complete control over everything. The disadvantages are you do everything yourself and you have complete control over everything. Um, so, you know, it's it's a lot of work, basically, to self-publish. When you're traditionally published, you will have an editor who works for a publisher who's a professional editor. You won't have to hire them yourself, um, which can be very probably the most expensive part of the process uh, for a self-publisher, especially if you're, you're starting out. You know, a professional editor doesn't come cheap. And if you're writing epic fantasy, I mean, and they charge by the word, I mean, uh, my <laughs> books are typically in the 200,000 word range. Paying somebody, a, you know, a word by word basis to edit one of my novels, that's a lot of money. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> it would be very expensive for me to self publish as well as very time consuming. Uh, but you do, I think with self publishing, you do get control over the control you get, I know, would be certainly attractive for a lot of people um if you know i'm a bit of a control freak i'm not too bad but i can be a bit uh, obsessive about details and if you're that kind of person self-publishing is probably going to suit you quite well especially when it comes to covers and cover design and you know book descriptions and all that kind of thing uh so yes the, the advantages as i say are the same as the disadvantages it's all on you Uh, you either do it all yourself or you pay people to do it. When you're traditionally published, uh, some of the burden is taken off you because you're, you're not paying for your own editor and your, your own uh, cover designer and all of that. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm also thinking maybe... What about with regards to the editing itself? I mean, of course, when you are self-publishing, you, as you said, you hire the editor, and basically you can just decide what to ignore or what to agree to, whatever the whenever the editor tells you something. But with the traditional publishing, is it more in your experience that you have to more accept what the uh, editor is pushing on you, or can you still do you still have the freedom to say like like no, that's not gonna, I'm not gonna change this or that. Um, unfortunately, I've never got to the point where I vehemently disagreed with anything the edit editors have had have told me. It, there is a back and forth, and there are things we don't, you know, sort of minor things I don't always agree with when it comes to word choice or you know cutting smaller scenes or something like that. 
But there have been times when I've been asked to do you know, more substantial rewrites than others. Uh, some books don't require a lot of work at the editing stage and others do, you know. I take mm -hmm. the view that uh, these are professional people who've been doing this their entire life. Um, and it would be foolish of me to ignore their advice. If I ever got to the point where I just vehemently disagreed with, you know, what they were asking me to do, I would say so. Uh, we did have a discussion. Um, but, it's, you know, as yet it hasn't come up where we were just completely at loggerheads and can't reach an agreement. I don't know what would happen if we got to that point, you know, contractually. <laughs> you know, they can reject the book and then they want their advance back. Uh, they haven't asked yeah. for one yet. But, uh, you know, that's that's always the nuclear option. But it, uh, it's extremely rare in the publishing world, you know, for that to happen. Uh, it does, yeah, it can happen. You, you, sometimes when you get controversial figures who've been given large sums to write a memoir or something. And, you know, especially when they insist on not having a ghostwriter and, you know, I've heard stories of people submitting manuscripts that were just unreadable tripe and then wondering why the publisher wanted their advance back. Uh, <laughs> it can happen, but, it, yeah, when it comes to professional writers, people who write fiction for a living, it's very, very rare. And uh, as yet, you know, luckily for me, it hasn't come up. Hopefully it never No. Will. Yeah, no, I agree. And, of course, it's also a matter of, I mean, of course, some editors could be difficult to work with, but so could some authors, right? It could also sometimes be the author who just makes a big deal out of something where the editor might be actually quite fair in what they're asking. <laughs> and I'm never going to nitpick over commas or, you know, stuff like that. There's semicolons in the wrong place. So I'm sorry, yeah. I, don't, I don't get excited about that. It's, you know, uh, no. And when it comes to you know, the overall arch, the arc of the plot and stuff like that, it's, you know, it's pretty rare for them to have a problem with it in my book. Uh, there's been a few things where I have, by you know, my own admission, I've gone down the wrong route. I've gone down a kind of blind alley when it comes to plots and, you know, tried to get out of it by being a bit too convoluted. Uh, and right. a, good, a good editor will point that out, you know. Uh, they don't, you know, they don't come back and say, my God, this is a pile of crap. What, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> you get what's called the compliment sandwich. Where it's, the first paragraph is, oh, this is, yeah, this is really great and uh, so on. But the second paragraph is, no, here's some things I think need some work. And the third paragraph is, but once again, this is a really great novel and I look forward to publishing it. So, you yeah. know, they always bracket what they actually want to tell you with some, some nice words yeah. to sweeten the pill. Yeah. <laughs> but what what does your actual writing process look like um when i'm writing i write every day um i rarely have days off unless i have to for you know when when life just gets in the way um so i will you know, if i have a doctor's appointment or something or have to do something with family uh, then then i'll you know i will take uh, time off but when i'm actually working on a book most of the time I write every day. Um, I don't actually produce a huge amount of words on a daily basis, but because I write every day and because I'm consistent, uh, you know, it looks from the outside like I'm quite prolific. I mean, I've averaged at least one book a year for the last 10 years, uh, which isn't bad. I'm not actually that fast a writer, but I am consistent. 
my average word count these days is about 1200 words a day um but i'm doing the thing where i you know i, I use scrivener as my main writing program and it has yeah. an option it, it tells you how many words a day you need to do to reach your overall word goal by a certain date and these days i just tend to stick to that and uh, as long as you're consistent as long as you stick to it uh it works you know? yeah uh, yeah i don't do a lot of uh you know actually sitting in front of the computer and <laughs> actual time spent sitting in front of the computer writing is relatively minimal but uh, i do do a lot of pacing around my living room and you know there's part i remember stephen fry the, the british uh, you know uh, comedian and author he said that writing consists mostly of making coffee for me um, <laughs> even though i drink tea rather than coffee there's a certain amount of truth in that i think there's a, there's a lot of things yeah yeah i was uh, i was myself through a uh, maybe i could call it an experiment but quite recently over the last six months i because i i'm also at the place sort of where you are i i i tend to i don't really count my word count but i i write half a chapter a day uh, because i feel like that's what i can get done in maybe about two hours and in two hours after that i feel like my creativity really goes down uh, but then i heard a lot about many authors who like are really prolific you know the people who write like five thousand words a day and stuff like this. so i thought like let me try that and then i tried to look into all the stuff that they did to increase their word count and i really you know pushed myself um and I just came to the realization after a while, I probably tried it for like two, three months. And then by the end of it, I was like, I don't enjoy this anymore. You know, I, I want to take my time with it. I want to sort of think about what I'm writing. I don't want to just plow ahead. Uh, I don't know. For me, it just it, it moved, removed all the enjoyment of the writing process to try to do it faster. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And also, just it might be mundane, but uh, I'm not getting any younger, and my hands hurt after a while. I've, right. typed, I've typed a lot of words in my life, and uh, after a while, it hurts. You know, and I don't yeah, get on yeah. well with dictation software or anything like that. And I don't write longhand fast enough to write that well. You know, I can write eighty-five words a minute. I can't longhand write eighty-five words a minute. So uh, just for the sake of my hands, I think I'm quite happy to uh, not try and do the 5,000 word a day thing. If you can, great. If it's comfortable for you, uh, good for you, you know. But I think I've probably done 5,000 words once in a day uh, when I was running up against a deadline, and it wasn't fun. It definitely wasn't fun. <laughs> No, I mean, and I think when speaking about writing processes, it is really about finding your own sort of what, what suits you. Of course, I mean, of course, if you have uh, like physical things like your hands are hurting, then you have to respect that. But in, but more in general, I mean that some people enjoy writing fast, other people don't. And I think it it's actually good in my view to try to experiment with different approaches when you're starting out to figure out what works for you. Um, but then yeah. something will probably be, be something you prefer versus something else. Definitely. I think there's no one size fits all when it comes to writing. You have to find, yeah, you have to experiment, find what works for you. Uh, and I think a lot of people do read 
you know, whatever their favorite writing book is, whether it's Stephen King's on writing or, or you know, Save the Cat or whatever it is, and they think, well, Stephen King writes uh, 2,000 words a day, therefore I must write 2,000 words a day. Right. Uh, if you've never done that, it's a big ask. You know, it's a big thing to do 2,000 yes. words a day if, you, if you're just not used to it. Uh, so, you know, my advice for novice writers is to find your comfort zone. Uh, is actually embrace the comfort zone. And don't try and push yourself too much because what you're doing is difficult. Uh, and a lot of the time, especially with people who have jobs, they have families, it's, you know, carving out the time you need to write can't be easy. And if all you can manage a day is half an hour and you do 500 words, fine. 500 words a day adds up to a lot of words after a year. Uh, but yeah, find find your own comfort zone, embrace it, and that'll uh, give you a, at least a benchmark to you know you know how to push it. You know, you know if you if you need to do more for whatever reason, then you'll know just how much more you need to do. Yeah, but tends to be what I tell younger writers anyway. Yeah, no, I I think it's a good advice, um, and and because of as well that you know you've written for quite a while I was about to, and as you said you've written a lot of words but do you ever feel like um when it comes to getting story ideas and so on do you ever feel like you get stuck in the same loop with the same kind of ideas or how, how do you go about getting fresh ideas i have absolutely no problem with new ideas uh, to be honest if i could turn off the idea factory in my head i would for a while at least because uh I mean, it was a while ago I tweeted that I had uh, 26 books that I could probably start writing tomorrow if I wanted to. Uh, that's probably got up to about 35 now because uh, it just never stops. I just never stop getting ideas. Ideas are the easy bit um, for me anyway. Uh, actually coming up with stories to match the ideas, that's the hard bit. The ideas, yeah, they never stop. And it's really, I don't go looking for inspiration. It always finds me, you know, whether it's a television documentary or whether it's, uh, you know, something I saw on the news or just, you know, something I read somewhere that I can't even remember where. It all goes in my head and just comes together with ideas, you know, and uh, they never stop. I'm probably going to shuffle off this mortal coil with a lot of books unwritten, which... And there's not a lot I can do about that. You know, it's just the way it is. No, you know, it, it's funny that you say that because um, I think when people are looking to get into writing or start to write, they worry about this idea thing. But but because I have it exactly the same way as you do, you know, I have a notebook where I write down when I get ideas and it's so chock full of ideas. It's just like, I don't know, there must be 20 novels in there as well. Uh, and I will probably never get to half of them. I don't know. But, uh, but getting ideas is like one of the favorite things that people think about or worry about in the beginning. But... And maybe there are some people who are finding it difficult to get ideas. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but I have also through this podcast talked to a lot of different authors by now, and I'm yet to hear an author, an established author say that I don't know, I can't get ideas. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everybody seems to be flooded with them. Maybe that's a part of what makes us writers. I don't know. I think it is. I think it's probably something innate to people who do this for a living or, you know, at least have the potential to do it for a living is 
you know, never running out of stories or just thinking in those terms. I guess you could probably train yourself to do it if you tried hard enough, but it does seem to be something that's just innate with me. Uh, you know, even as a kid, I was, I remember telling the kids ghost stories at playtime in school. And, right. <laughs> they cluster around me and I just make them up on the spot, you know, quite easily. Because uh, ghost stories are easy, especially when you're telling kids. There was a house that had a ghost in it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, in terms of getting stuck in the same ideas occurring, um, I'm always keen not to repeat myself. I don't want to be writing the same book over and over again. Uh, you know, I know that some writers have a formula, they have a, a character and a series of books, and those books follow a formula. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, as long as you can keep it fresh. If you're just writing the same book over and over again and, you know, rubbing the serial numbers off and making it a little bit different, uh, then, <laughs> you know, I think that's, that's going to get very dull. It get very dull for me, never mind the reader. Um, I, I think, fortunately, I tend to have the imagination it doesn't get stuck in a rut too much. So it does, I do tend to think outside my own genre as well. It's not... Every idea I get is not for a fantasy novel. You know, it's science fiction, it's horror, it's uh, crime as well. I kind of like to get around to all of those genres at some point if you can ever find enough time to write them. So, yeah. yeah. Why did you decide that it was fantasy that you wanted to write originally? Um, it's just it's a genre that probably appeals to me more than all others. And it might be, I mean, I thought a lot about why, but I think it might be because it's essentially limitless. You can do anything with it, depending mm, on yeah. how you construct the world that you're making up. Uh, yeah, there's, there's nothing limiting you. You can, you know, you're not constrained by history. You can borrow from history, and I do all the time. I, you know, I steal shamelessly from real world history, but because it's I'm presenting it in the context of fantasy, it, you know, it doesn't matter so much. There's no copyright on history. You can take what you want. And also you can take away all the inconvenient, messy bits of it. Just keep the good bits, you know, the, you know, the realities of history. History is always messier uh, than people think it is. And it never conforms to the myths that people conjure around it. Anyway, in the UK at the moment, there's a lot of people spinning nostalgic myths about Britain's past with this Britain's right, yeah. empire or, you know, what we did in the Second World War or anything like that. And it's clearly being spun by people who don't have a real grasp of what history is or what that particular history was. It's myth-making. It's not history. Uh, but I think from a novelist's point of view, especially even if you're presenting it in a fantasy context, you have to engage with the realities of history not the myths. Otherwise, it's not going to be convincing. Uh, the messiness of history, I think I try and reflect, even though I'm quite you know, ruthless and cutting away a lot of the chaff and just uh, taking the exciting bits. Uh, you still have to, I think, reflect the messiness of it. Yeah, and I, I also think, I mean, of course, I, you know, I, as part of fantasy, I, I do, of course, love all your wizards and the magic and dragons and all that good stuff. Uh, but the other part, uh, on a more practical level, is also, as a fantasy author, I feel like 
it's because I don't want to get bogged down into research about how does this gun work or, <laughs> or you know, all those kind of, or, or this particular city that the characters now go to that I've never been to. I don't want to do all that research. But in fantasy, I can just make it up, and that's quite wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that being said, I do, I do research. I've done, because my second series, uh, the Draconis Memoria, was uh, set in a, Sort of industrialized world, even though it was a fantasy world, it was industrialized and they were fighting with guns rather than swords. So I did mm-hmm. a fair amount of, of research on guns for that. Uh, and here's a tip for you if you put guns, uh, anything related to guns, into YouTube, be prepared for them to bombard you with all sorts of extremist nonsense within minutes. <laughs> I looked at one gun video and within a day, YouTube had decided I was a white supremacist who hated women. Judging by right. who were recommending me, so be careful wow. when you're doing your research. Uh, yeah. it's, it's it's kind of staggering how the algorithms work. You know? uh, but yeah, I do, yeah, that's a bit scary. It is. Yeah, you can see uh, it was a, a lesson in how people get radicalized. You know, it's, uh, I'm saying yeah. this, uh, stop recommending this to me button quite a lot. Man. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Um. It's been a few years though, but but I I read the Waking Fire some years back, mm-hmm. uh, the Waking Fire, um, and I very much enjoyed it. Uh, and it has dragons in it, so that's always good. <laughs> but uh, what I why I'm bringing that up is because we were talking a bit about writing, you know, fantasy, and we were talking a bit about what kind of stories to write and so on, and. Because you have also written and published quite a lot of books, I'm wondering if you if you see some common tropes within fantasy that readers seems to like more than others. I mean, dragons could be an example, but how do you see the success of your different books? Like, is there like commonalities that the books that has dragons in them or something else are usually more liked by readers than others? Or do you have any views on that? Um, I think some people definitely. Because the Draconis Memoria, it was guns rather than swords. Uh, they had steamships and, you know, airships and stuff. Uh, some people immediately assumed it was steampunk, and it kind of is. I don't, I don't mind if people call it that, but there are people who just won't read anything that's got steampunk attached to it. And there are fantasy readers who only want the swords. Even if it has dragons in it, they just want, they want the swords. They want, the, you know, the medieval setting rather than industrialized setting. Uh, which is fine, each to their own, you know. But I try not to be constrained by it as a writer. Um, readers have their preferences, and that's fine. But for me as a writer, I did, I do want to be able to write what I want to write. Uh, you know, and yeah, I mean, the Draconis Memorials didn't sell as well as my other series. Uh, still, it sold reasonably well for what it is. Uh, but it wasn't in as big numbers because it wasn't, I think, conforming to what an epic fantasy series was supposed to be. Uh, you know, you're supposed to have people riding around on horses, not in airships. You're supposed to have, you know, uh, armies fighting in great battles with, uh, you know, with, you know, dragons is, is, might be part of it, but they're also supposed to be uh, you know, hordes of saber-wielding barbarians and all of this. And it uh, kind of wasn't in there. <laughs> but I don't think you can or you should be constrained by reader expectation. Um, you should write what you want to write because you can never really 
you know, anticipate what they want. You know, so it's like with Apple. You know, Apple as a company famously doesn't do market research. It makes the things it wants to make and then it sells them to people. Because people don't know what they want. You can do it. There's famous examples of, I think, Coca-Cola when they came out with New Coke. They did immense amounts of research and focus groups and market research about, yes, there's definitely a market for New Coke. And people want New Coke. They put out New Coke. People hated it. Nobody wanted it. It was one of the biggest <laughs> flops in commercial history, you know. Uh, so you can't anticipate what they want, uh, and you can't try and give them what they want. You can only write what you write, I think, at the end of the day. Uh, and if it hits, it hits. There's not a lot else you can do about it. But I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with writing to market, if you can. Uh, but don't expect everyone to be a winner just because you write to a certain market because you think, you know, a few years ago it was vampires and vampire romance. Uh, but just because it's in vogue, it doesn't mean it's going to hit for you. You, know? you can never really... You, there's no such thing as a surefire hit in, in publishing or in anything else. No, I fully agree with you there. There's definitely no guarantees one way or the other. And I also agree that it is incredibly important to write something you're passionate about because, uh, yeah, like like we talked about, uh, writing a novel, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. Uh, so if in a month later you are sort of tired of the the thing because it wasn't really your thing anyway, then you're never going to get to the end. Um But of course, if you can find some some overlap between what the market or the readers want versus what you like, then that's probably a good place to focus, I would say, because at least if you look at like um, streaming services, Netflix and so on, they pump out the same stuff over and over and over again, right? Because readers or viewers in this case... We want what we what we know we like. We want the same thing just in a new package. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time, I mean, when you try to do something that is very different, not always, but most of the time, it flops. Also on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think as a creative, though, you can, if you're proud of it, if you think it was good, uh, you're you know, you're happy with it. That's the most you can expect. If it sells, yeah. it sells. It's great. It's really great if it sells. But um, really, from a creative point of view, you, you have to be happy with it. Otherwise, what's the point? For me, anyway. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, you know there's certain genres I couldn't write in because I don't read them and I'm not excited about them. I've no, yeah, no disrespect to romance authors. I couldn't write a romance novel to save my life. I wouldn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> and, uh, me attempting to write a romance novel would be an insult to that genre. But, you know, if I was <laughs> perhaps desperate for money and I tried it, it'd, it'd be a disaster, you know. Uh, so I think you have to be a fan of whatever genre you're writing in. Um, and it helps if it's a commercial genre, you know. Uh, if it's very niche, then it's you know, going to have a hard time making a living at it. That doesn't mean you shouldn't write in it, uh, but you know, just be aware that it's you know, it doesn't mean. And nobody owes you a living is another thing. Uh, nobody you know going to drive a dump truck up to your front door and give you a load of money for no apparent reason. Ah, that would be nice. It would be nice. <laughs> 
But um, given your years in the writing business slash industry here, are there some changes that you've noticed over the years? Like, is there stuff that is very different now compared to what it was when you got started? Yeah, the basic publishing process, the process you go through hasn't changed that much. Um, and the contracts, are, you know, they're still using pro forma contracts to say you have to provide a written typed manuscript on double-spaced paper and all that. It's in the contract, but nobody ever does that. You just send them an email with an attachment like everybody else. Uh, but what I have noticed is, you know, an increasing embracing of digital formats by publishers. Uh, they seem to be, you know, taking what I would consider a more realistic approach to pricing uh, of digital, of ebooks and so on. Obviously, there's been a bit of an explosion in audiobooks. Audiobooks are now much more important. And when I started, uh, you could probably negotiate a different contract, a separate contract for your audiobook as opposed to print and ebook. These days, no, none of the major publishers will allow you will give you a contract unless you're willing to sell them your, your audio rights. Uh, you can't take them away and sell them yourself. They, they won't do it. Uh, you give them all the major formats so that they're not interested. And I think that's probably true of even the biggest names in the industry. It's a bit, it seems to be a bit of a hard line with the publishing industry because they realize that audio books are profitable. Uh, they're very profitable if they're done well. Uh, and as a, you know, as a digital uh, item to sell, audiobooks are kind of perfect. You know, they're reasonably high value and uh, don't cost that much. In comparison to a print book, don't cost that much to produce. I mean, there is a cost there because you have to pay an actor to do them. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's not as cost intensive, I think, as, as a print book. So, yeah, explosion of audio is probably the biggest thing that I've noticed. But also, uh, you know, it's, yeah, publishers using uh, social media for marketing and you know various different ways of exploring marketing in a digital age. Uh, they weren't doing so much of that when I started, but the, they definitely are now. Yeah, and I, I think as well that the audiobook explosion is also very much linked to nowadays many people are way too busy in their life uh, so audiobook is then like like podcasting you know it's something you can listen to while you're doing other things and i think in part that's why it has taken off in the sense that it has uh, or to the degree that it has because uh it, it just goes better with a busy lifestyle than sitting down to read a book <laughs> nobody has that much time anymore yeah unfortunately yeah i mean i'm, I'm a fan of audiobooks certain authors are oh stephen king these days only do Stephen King audiobooks. I don't read his books. I only listen to the audiobooks for him. There's a few others as well. Also, I find this my preferred format for memoirs and, uh, you know, comedic memoirs and that kind of thing, especially when it's written, but it's read by the author. A lot of comedians do your own audiobooks these days, which are quite like. Yeah. Yeah. Um- there was something else I wanted to uh, mention here before we uh, before we wrap things up because uh, I was uh, on your website earlier today and then I saw a menu item called Map Room and mm-hmm. 
that really triggered me because I absolutely love fantasy maps and it was so wonderful to see uh, uh, an entire web page on the on the website dedicated to maps from your books. I, I really like that. Yeah, I'm a big map fan as well. I draw my, all my own maps for, for the books. Um, and, you know, so there's no copyright issues with me putting them on my website. Uh, and if you are a fantasy also with maps at the front of your book, I, w- I would recommend putting them on the website because uh, they don't show up that well on ebooks. You know, it's, and it's kind of fiddly to keep referring back to them when you're reading an ebook. But put them on your web page, people have a place to go to see them. You know. Yeah, it does seem to be a thing for fantasy fans. They, they like a good map. Yeah, I I know, I know for me myself, uh, if I start reading a new fantasy map, even if it's on a Kindle, and I do agree, it's it, the resolution of it is not the best there. But if I do open a new fantasy book and I don't find that map within the couple first couple of pages, I'm already slightly disappointed. <laughs> yeah, this has just become this thing that we all expect. You know, maybe one day I'll publish a fantasy novel without a map, just to be daring. But. Probably. Yeah, <laughs> no, that that's great. The story I heard about David Gemmell, who was a, the late great British fantasy author, who never, I think, I think only his historical fantasies had maps in them. They were real world maps, but his actual secondary world fantasies never had maps in them. And the story I heard once was the they tried they get hired a guy to do a map for him, and he said all these characters live on the North Pole. Because they're always going east, west, <laughs> south, and all that. But it makes no sense when you try and track their movements. Because, you know, you're going in impossible directions. So you found it basically impossible to draw a map of David Gemmell's world. Right. No, but it is a challenge because um, when there is a map, then, of course, it becomes possible to start tracking the distance and how far were, or, you know, because we have it as well in, in our novel when when I need them to go to one place of the of the world to another place of the world, I will actually pull out the map and just sort of figure out, okay, if you were a medieval guy who needed to go this distance, how long would it actually take you? So in one on one regard, that's good that you can make it more realistic in that sense. But another, but on another hand, it also makes it difficult sometimes when you're having multiple points of view and then for one character a month passed and for the other one, you need to take two days. <laughs> That's a bit of a challenge. It was, it's one of the realities of the medieval world was it took ages to get anywhere. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. For a start. And the average person can walk maybe 10 miles a day. You know, yeah. trains, you know a soldier can do 20 miles a day because that's what they're trained for. Your average person, you know, carrying goods on their back is not going to manage more than 10 miles a day. So there's, a, there's no. a hard reality there. You can try and get around it, maybe using magic or something. But if you want your world Portals. to be simple, you know, you can't be <laughs> at one end of the empire on Monday and then they've made it all the way to the other end by Tuesday. You know, it's just not realistic. No, no, that's where, uh, well, Wheel of Time also does some tricks with uh, these. I can't remember what what uh, Michael or what uh, Jordan called them, but it was these way gates or whatever it was. I can't remember the name for it anymore. Yeah, similar in uh, Robin Hobbs' Assassin series with these uh, stone portals people can go through, which, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, a useful plot device if you can get it to work. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, um, 
I want to thank you, Anthony, as well for coming on the podcast and share from from all your experience and your insights into writing and publishing. No problem. Enjoyed it. And uh, if people want to learn more about you and your writing, Anthony, where do you want them to go? Uh, my website has all the links to everything. It's uh, anthonyryan.net. Uh, you can find you know, links to my social medias on there and details of all my books and where to buy them and so forth. Excellent. I will put the, the link to uh, Anthony's website in the show notes as well. So you, dear listener, you can uh, go and click directly from there. And once again, I want to thank Anthony for coming on the podcast today and fill in for autumn. So I hope you've got a lot from it and enjoyed it. If you like what you just heard, there's a few things you can do to support the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Please tell a fellow author about the show and visit us at Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. You can also join Autumn and Jasper on patreon.com slash amwritingfantasy. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get awesome rewards and keep the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast going. Stay safe out there and see you next Monday.